Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast, and today is February 2nd, 2024. It's been 3,658 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 343 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. Today's podcast looks at events that happened on Thursday and Friday morning. During the podcast, you will find the Russia-Ukraine war map helpful to visualize the areas discussed. A link is in the podcast description. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense and the Ukrainian General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine morning reports, operational commands north, south and east of Ukraine, open-source intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian male bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. 1. We agree with the assessment of the Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, Colonel General Valery Zaluzhny, published by the United States news agency CNN. 2. In our assessment, there is a high risk of large-scale Russian missile and drone strikes targeting Ukrainian civilians and civilian infrastructure in the next two to five days in response to the sinking of another Black Sea Fleet vessel. 3. We maintain it is almost certain the United States has ended financial and military aid to Ukraine, unless there is an unforeseen event that changes congressional leadership. 4. The actions of Congress are damaging the U.S. global standing as a trusted ally of democratic states and have partially contributed to increased kinetic and hybrid warfare activity executed by Russia and its so-called axis of resistance of Belarus, North Korea, Iran and their proxies. 5. The armed forces of Ukraine are facing critical ammunition shortages, particularly air defense missiles and artillery rounds that are directly impacting the ability to continue active defense operations along the entire line of conflict. 6. Russian forces have established an operational objective to capture Chasiv Yar, west of Bakhmut. 7. Russian commanders have put mission objectives over all other considerations and are committed to capturing the Avdiv Kasselian regardless of the cost. 8. We maintain that combat that closely resembles World War I trench warfare versus 21st century combined arms maneuver warfare will continue for the unforeseeable future. 9. We maintain that Russia's ongoing political purge is accelerating, and the Putin regime is accelerating its transition into a fascist state, and further assess that in the medium and long term, this shift will endanger global security and stability. 10. While the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the threat should be taken seriously, and we are deeply troubled by the latest report by the International Atomic Energy Agency. We begin in Kharkiv Oblast, in the Kupiansk area of Operation Oreo. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or Armored, reported that Ukrainian forces were on the offensive in the area of Sinkivka. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, 
reported that Russian troops renewed attempts to advance through the no-man's land between Yahidne and Ivanivka, five times without success. And Russian mercenary Melblogovo Gonzo reported that fighting continued in Tabayevka. In the Kremenayo of Luhansk Oblast, Russian troops supported by the aerospace forces of VKS continued their attempts to advance east of Terny. Armod reported that Ukrainian forces were on the offensive east of Yampolivka. Southwest of Kremenna, Armod went back to its traditional report of fighting in the area of Dibrova. In the Lysychanskoyo, Russian sources claimed fighting continued in the area of Bilohorivka, with no change in the situation. In occupied Luhansk oblast, the shortage of civilian workers is becoming a critical issue. Workers at the Alchevsk metallurgical complex report the plant is on the verge of closing due to a lack of staff. The remaining employees claim that the personnel department hands out summons for mobilization for the commissariat, while the Ministry of Internal Affairs conducts raids. Similar to the so-called Donetsk People's Republic, workers from Russia and foreigners don't want to accept jobs in the occupied territories, as they also face forcible mobilization. Next, let's talk about the Donbass. In northeastern Donetsk Oblast in the Bakhmutayo, fighting remains limited. Northwest of the city, a geolocated video confirmed that Ukrainian forces advanced northwest of Bogdanivka. Southwest of Bakhmut, fighting continued in the areas east of Ivanivska, with no change in the situation. In the Klishivkayo, positional fighting continued north of the settlement of Klishivka, with no change in the situation. Russian missiles struck Murnohrad for the 14th day in a row, and pictures show that 17 months of bombardment has left most of Chasivyar in ruins. In southwestern Donetsk oblast, Russian forces maintained their attacks in the Avdivka AO, as Ukrainian defensive lines continued to hold. I'm going to start with an assessment. There has been a notable reduction in fighting along the northern flank and eastern approaches of Avdivka. Russia continues to hold significant reserves in the AO, but appears to have shifted to point attacks on the southern and southeastern edges of the city. Combatants typically switch to point attacks when units have become combat-ineffective or are approaching the end of available combat potential. With an estimated reserve of 40,000 troops, we are not prepared to assess that the Russian offensive at Avdiivka is approaching a culmination point. Like Bakhmut and Severodonetsk, capturing Avdiivka has become a political objective, and we do not believe that the Kremlin will deprioritize the goal. Certainly not before the sham elections that start on the 16th of March. Russian sources reported limited fighting east of Stepove, with no change in the situation. Most of the hostilities were concentrated on the southern edge of Avdiivka, with fighting continuing in the area of Tsarska Ohota and south of Sportivna Street. For the west, Russian troops continued their attempts to advance from the eastern edge of Pervomaiske and east of Nevelske without success. In occupied Donetsk, occupation officials have advised civilians not to use the Donetsk-Horlivka highway due to the increasing number of drone and artillery strikes on the road, which is a critical ground line of communication, or GLOC, that's a supply line for the Russian military. In the Marinkayo, Russian forces attempted to advance on Krasnohorivka from the southeast without success. A Russian attempt to advance in the direction of Georgievka north of the fishing ponds failed after Ukrainian drones dismantled the armored column. Up to two platoons of mechanized infantry were destroyed. 
While the attack failed, geolocation of the video showed that the line of conflict is further west than previously assessed. There was a small adjustment to the map. Russian sources claimed that there was an attempt to advance on Pobeda from the southern edge of Marinka, which ended in failure. In the Vogledario, Ukrainian forces repulsed 11 Russian attacks south and southeast of Novomikhailivka. In the Staromlinivkayo, Armad reported Ukrainian offensives in the area of Staromayorske and near Priyutna. We haven't covered Zaporizhia Oblast over the last few days because only light positional fighting is ongoing in the Orikhivayo. It appears that both combatants have deprioritized the EO, with most fighting between squad-sized units conducting positional fighting, harassment attacks and reconnaissance. Russian mercenary mail blogger Wogonzo reported light fighting near Novoprokopivka and west of Verbova. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported that fighting continued west of Robotina. The International Atomic Energy Agency, IAEA, released an update on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, or ZNPP. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi will lead the 16th rotation of inspectors on February 7, making his fourth visit to the plant. Grossi said that Russian occupiers announced that, as of the 1st of February, no workers with Ukrainian Energoatom will be allowed at the plant. The staff is now comprised of former Energoatom workers who accepted Russian citizenship and staff from the Russian Federation. Rosatom told the IAEA that there is, quote, enough certified personnel at the plant. Grossi expressed alarm over the situation. Last week, before the staffing cuts, the IAEA inspectors reported there were only 4,500 workers at ZNPP, down from the preoccupation number of 11,500. He told the United Nations Security Council on January 25 that the plant was, quote, operating on significantly reduced staff who are under unprecedented psychological pressure, which, despite the reactors being shut down, is not sustainable, unquote. Grossi added that he intends to talk to Russian occupation officials about the restrictions placed on IAEA inspectors, which is hobbling their work to, quote, fully assess the seven pillars of nuclear safety and security at the NPP and also to monitor adherence to the five concrete principles for the protection of the plant." Unquote. As a further sign of the plant's deterioration, boric acid deposits were observed in the safety room of Reactor 1. This is in addition to leaks found in Units 3 and 6. Borated water is used in the primary coolant loop as an additional safeguard. The promised diesel steam generators that could permit Reactor 5 to move to cold shutdown were installed this week and have started operating. Rosatom would not confirm if they will produce enough steam to enable the shutdown of Reactor 5. The backup power transformers that support the external 750 kV line were repaired after its failure last month. The IAEA is awaiting an explanation of what caused the failure. Here are the recent developments and updates for the Black Sea, occupied Crimea, Mykolaiv and Odessa. Moscow has been almost silent about the loss of the Black Sea Fleet missile Corvette Ivanovitz. In our assessment, there was an order, shortly after the Ukrainian video was released, to not report on or discuss the sinking, likely due to political reasons. Yesterday we reported the Ukrainian Navy conducted the operation. 
Kyiv has since clarified that Special Unit 13 of the Main Defense Intelligence Directorate of the Ministry of Defense of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or UR, conducted the attack. Russian mercenary mail blogger Rybar reported on the attack before Ukraine released the video, claiming that only one uncrewed surface vessel exploded near the ship, causing an unknown degree of damage. Less than an hour later, after seeing the Ukrainian video, the Doom posted, quote, Taking into account how many ships of the Black Sea Fleet have already been lost as a result of such attacks, the main reason is the human factor when the thinking of certain responsible persons remained exactly at the same level as before the special military operation. And if this continues over and over again, then is it worth asking the question about the lessons learned? Wait, I know the answer to this question. Go home. That's the lesson learned. Go home. In 2014, when Russia came to take our Crimea, they blocked the Ukrainian ship Cherkasy in Donuzlav Lake, preventing it from leaving the bay by sinking two Russian ships in the exit. They sunk their own ships then. They are not happy Ukraine sunk Ivanovits now? How ironic. Since the sinking of the Slava-class missile cruiser Moskva in April 2022, the Black Sea Fleet has lost 22,078 tons of standard displacement and another 7,673 tons have been damaged. This does not include smaller vessels such as Raptor-class petrol boats or Serna-class landing ships. Ukrainian USVs or missiles have sunk at least one significant vessel assigned to the Black Sea Fleet in five of the last six months. Pictures were published confirming that Belbek military airfield north of Sevastopol was hit by Ukrainian missiles. The pictures do not show damage to aircraft, but they do appear to confirm that a communication center was completely destroyed. The spokesperson for the Ukrainian Air Force, Colonel Yuri Ignat, said that, quote, We cannot confirm what exactly was hit yesterday, since we need to wait for new satellite images, unquote. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Here is my theater-wide update. In January, Russia used 274 Shahid-136 one-way drones to attack Ukraine. In December, Russia launched a record-setting 625, and the month prior, 369. The large swing in the number of attacks indicates that Russia has not been able to expand domestic production, and Iran cannot provide a consistent supply. In the last eight months, Russia has used 2,740 Shahid-136 UAVs, which averages 342 a month. In our assessment, that likely represents the combined production capabilities of Iran and Russia. The commander-in-chief of the armed forces of Ukraine, Colonel General Valery Zaluzhny, wrote an essay for CNN, outlining what Kyiv has gotten wrong and the path to move forward. It is a candid assessment, and you can look at the glass as half full or half empty on whether Zaluzhny is making his case for how Ukraine can win against Russia, or if this is his last salvo before the rumored dismissal. First, Zaluzhny discussed how uncrewed systems are at the forefront of technological change on the battlefield. 
Quote, it is well known by now that a central driver of this war is the development of unmanned weapons systems. They are proliferating at a breathtaking pace, and the scope of their applications grows ever wider. Unquote. Quick assessment. We completely agree, and as early as the spring of 2022, we were comparing the development of drones to the introduction of the biplane in the World War I, and predicted they would follow a similar evolutionary path of reconnaissance, unsophisticating bombing to providing close air support to fighting between drones. Zaluzhny believes that uncrewed systems can break the current stalemate and counter Russia's numerical superiority. He goes on to state that Kyiv has to accept that, quote, key allies are grappling with their own political tensions, unquote, and there will be a reduction in military support. He repeated his view, which we also agree with, that Russia is using the Israel-Hamas war and other conflicts in the Middle East as a way to draw attention and resources away from Ukraine. Zaluzhny also called out the weak enforcement of international sanctions, which hasn't stopped Russia from expanding its military-industrial capabilities. He again called for further mobilization and suggested that the state institutions in Ukraine are unwilling to make unpopular decisions. Additionally, he said that the, quote, partial monopolization of the defense industry in Ukraine has slowed production and innovation, and in particular ammunition. Zaluzhny added that this creates a negative loop, keeping Ukraine dependent on its allies. He went on to praise the work done to develop cheap, modern and highly effective drones and the impact it is having on the battlefield. Zaluzhny added that the rapid advancement of uncrewed technologies, quote, means nothing less than the wholesale redesign of battlefield operations and the abandoning of outdated, stereotypical thinking, unquote. More assessment. When Ukrainian troops started complaining about U.S. military instructors dismissing the use of small, inexpensive first-person view drones on the battlefield, our analyst team believed this was a major mistake. Global supply chains are dealing with the reality that relatively inexpensive drones have made the Suez Canal almost unusable, devastating the economy of Egypt, which is in free fall, and pushing Sudan to the brink of famine. Entire Russian armored columns are being destroyed by one-way drones that fly in swarms and pick off each vehicle one by one. Ukrainian drone operators have learned the weak points of each target and have the skills to exploit them. All of this is conducted at a significant distance from the line of conflict, reducing casualties. The impact is undeniable when you consider the Russian Avdiivka offensive, now in its 119th day, where Ukraine has 1 to 10 casualty advantage. Zaluzhny believes that the challenge for Ukraine is to, quote, create a completely new state system of technological rearmament, and thinks that this can be completed in months, not years. He concluded by saying that Ukrainians already possess capabilities to eliminate the enemy if a new approach is taken to wartime production, mobilization and training while taking into consideration the capabilities of Russia and the limitation Ukraine faces. German news agency Bild reported that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky wanted to dismiss Zaluzhny, but Hur leader Kirillo Budanov and the commander of the ground forces of the armed forces of Ukraine, General Alexander Sirsky, are opposed to his removal. Ukrainian forces showed how they've developed new drone-delivered IEDs that use thermite 
creating a precision incendiary weapon. The new munition burns for approximately 2 minutes at 2500 degrees Celsius and costs $12 each. Russian mercenary mail blogger Semyon Pegov expressed frustration with Ukraine's ability to stay one step ahead of Russia in the race for drone supremacy. Quote, the Ukrainian armed forces are increasing the use of kamikaze drones along the entire front. The problem with kamikaze drones is even more pressing for our advancing forces. In conditions of dense mining and the approaches to enemy positions, the accumulation of equipment – quick clarification, he means armored vehicles moving in tight formations – often becomes inevitable. They are attacked by first-person view drones and finished off with artillery and anti-tank guided missiles. Apparently, at the moment, we do not have sufficiently reliable protection against enemy drones. Electronic warfare systems do not keep up. At the same time, progress does not stand still. It is likely that drones will soon appear that will have automatic target recognition algorithms and will not need communication with an operator." Pegov wrote his assessment before CNN published the essay written by General Zaluzhny. Russian military mail blogger Andrei Morozov, better known as Murs, also dogpiled on Ukraine's drone superiority, writing that Russian electronic warfare capabilities against smaller drones are non-existent. Further, he accused the Kremlin of sending Russian tanks into battle with empty contact-5 reactive armor blocks, also known as ERA. Quote, there is no mass-scale small electronic warfare against first-person view drones. Is it okay that the warheads of Ukraine's FPVs are from the RPG-7 should be effective? Do we have tanks with empty blocks again? Like at the beginning of the special military operation? Let's f kill all the tanks and tankers. The problem here is not in the small electronic warfare, but in another, excuse me, problem, somewhat blockier." Unquote. The deputy chief of staff of the Ministry of Defense of Romania, General Gheorghe Tsevlad, believes that the Romanian people need to prepare for war against Russia. Vlad said that Russia is waging war with the democratic world and that, quote, the population of Romania, like the entire population of the European Union and Europe, should be worried and we should take appropriate measures to be ready, unquote. He believes that if Russia wins in Ukraine, Moldova will be attacked and Moscow will use hybrid warfare to destabilize the Western Balkans. Quote, I am more than confident that President Putin will escalate in the near future. Unquote. Euroclear, which holds most of Russia's frozen assets in Europe, stated that 4.4 billion euros of interest was earned in 2023. The company isn't actively against the plans to transfer the fund to Ukraine, but expresses it wants to minimize its legal risk. Speaking with CNN, Hurhad Budanov reopened the discussion on Ukraine receiving A-10 Thunderbolts for close-air support missions. Quote, this is what can really help inflict a military defeat on Russia. Unquote. The leadership of the United States Air Force recently said that the era of being able to establish air supremacy in the theater of war is likely over, regardless of technology, beyond short bursts. The argument against the A-10 is that it is a relic in the age of drones, which is replacing the close-air support mission. Designed around the GAU-8 Avenger 30mm autocannon, using the primary weapon system without air supremacy will result in unacceptable losses.
The argument for the A-10 is Russia and Ukraine continue to operate the Soviet-era Su-25 Rockfoot ground attack aircraft. The platform can be used to launch a variety of standoff weapons, including JDAM, minimizing its exposure to Russian air defenses. The United States sent 40 A-10Cs to the Boneyard in 2023, but it would require congressional funding to make a transfer to Ukraine. There's also another issue. A single-spent uranium 30mm round for the A-10 costs $137, and Ukraine is making drone-delivered thermite warheads for $12. After the European Union approved 50 billion euros in macro-financial aid for Ukraine, the first payment of 4.5 billion is expected next month. The EU did not make any concessions to Hungary. The aid package will be reviewed in two years but there is no provision to terminate assistance. And that's what we know. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.